Father, we honor you and we bless you for this opportunity to get into your word this morning. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you. Pray for articulation of your heart. Give us ears that we may receive what the Spirit of the Lord has for us on this morning. We thank you, Lord, for a word in due season. We thank you, Lord, also for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation on this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone that say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, <clears throat> this is the new year, and but we're going to continue on what we started on last week in regards to the prescription for a failure-proof life, a failure-proof living. Prescription for a, uh, a failure-proof life or failure-proof living, if you will. And I'm endeavoring to show you from the scriptures how God defines failure and success. How the scriptures actually say that we have the capacity to live a life that is failure proof based on the definition as God has defined it. Now, I believe that this year for this church specifically is the year of progression. The year of progression. And I made reference to this on last week. That progression essentially means movement, which is tactical and strategic. It means movement, tactical and strategic, which means that we need to prepare even if we don't see the path. That means that regardless of the fact that you might not know how everything is going to fall in its perfect place, we still prepare. We get ready. We prepare for the growth that we are believing God for. This is, in fact, what faith looks like, that we do things in correspondence to what we say we believe. So if we're believing for a mass amount of members, then we do things just like we have members right now in a mass amount. If we're believing God that he's going to prosper you in your business, then we start doing things as if we already have it. This is the spirit of faith. We start preparing the ground, preparing the atmosphere, doing all those things, or if we could say it like this, doing our part and believing God to do his part. That's the tactical, that's the strategic. Now we believe also it includes this word improving, which means to make better. To make better, questions that we got to ask ourselves is how can I improve myself this year? This is pretty basic. How can I improve myself this year? How can I improve myself physically this year? How can I improve myself academically this year? All the things that I said I was going to do last year were they accomplished? And if they weren't, there ain't no need getting in condemnation in regards to that. Let's just begin to make moves so that we cannot see the same thing duplicated this year. How can I improve my family? How can I improve my organization? There are some things that you should know about your organization this year that you didn't know last year. That we can make some things better. We can improve in things in this area, in that area. That we can sure up some areas that have been lacking. Amen. The last word we indicated was this word developing. 
2022, the year of progression as far as this ministry is concerned. Developing, which means what? To make visible or to manifest. To make visible or manifest. And when I was studying this out, one of the things that I felt like God was saying is even that small area that you begin to see manifest, don't despise that. If you plant a seed in the ground, it, it takes an amount of time for that seed to begin to do things so that you can see it starting to pop up out of the dirt. You may put the seed physically in the ground and you don't see anything at day after day after day after day. And then one day you may see just the tip of the leaf begin to poke up out of the ground. Well, that's not the tree that you believe in God for, but it is something that's in manifestation. And so what we got to be careful about is despising just a little piece of the tip that we see right now that we're developing that yes we're seeing a piece of it and that's what God is showing us just the little tip peeking out of the dirt indicating you to you that there is in fact growth there is movement there is something that's happening that you can't see and the day that's, that, that there's a day that's coming that you're going to see that full leaf pop out of that dirt the day is going to come where you're going to begin to see that stem pop up the day is going to come when you're going to see more manifestations than you currently have but God says we got to be careful not to despise even the smallest minute what you might indicate insignificant growth that you may see right now this is the year of progression so I want you to get your expectations out to believe God that I'm going to see movement in my organization. I'm going to see movement in my business. I'm going to see movement in my ministry. I'm going to see some things that are going to begin to progress this year in ways that I'm not seeing. And I'm not going to despise even just the small things that I see in manifestation. I'll get excited about every piece. I'll enjoy the journey. Amen. Amen. And amen. Now, as we are talking about this subject of a failure-proof life, again, it's incumbent as we talk about or discuss this particular area that we define our terms, that we define our terms as far as what is success and what is not. Success and failure within life. Now, when you're thinking in terms of what is successful and what is a failure, you gotta look at it in terms of ambition. Ambition is when I have a desire to be successful, powerful, or famous, but it's from a selfish motivation for personal aggrandizement and pleasure. When I am simply an ambitious person, I have a desire to be successful. I have a desire to be powerful. I have a desire to be famous, but it's not about anybody but me and mine. My desire to, to be successful, my desire to be famous, my desire even to be powerful is for my own aggrandizement or my own pleasure. Why do you want what you want? Is it for God's glory or is it for your own? Why do you want your ministry to grow? Why do you want your organization to grow? Is it for God's glory? And that's what you say to people, but privately in the booth, in the back, in your heart, you really know it's about you and yours and you leaving your legacy here on the earth. 
God says, now watch this, the difference with godly ambition is the desire to be successful, is to fulfill God's will and his purpose, giving God glory with your life. It is where that thing flips upside down, where God, the reason why I want this is because it's for you. It's not about me. So when God says, okay, you want this for me, and if I direct you this way, and you don't want to go this way, it's about God, so I'll go this way. When he says, I want you to go to this job instead of this job over here, God, it's about your glory, so I'll go where you say for me to go, and I'll not go this way, because if I go this way, it's about my pleasure, but if I go this way, it's about your glory. And because I said, God, my ambition is to give you glory with my very life, I will submit to your will. The word submit to your will essentially means I got to humble myself enough to say, God, I need your direction and I need your word in my life for what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't just come up with something and say, God, bless this over here. No, God, I start with you. And when I start with you, even when you lead me to a place where I don't want to go, I still go. Let's look at the difference between vanity and selflessness. Vanity and selflessness. Because once again, when we're talking about living a failure-proof life, we have to define our terms. The word vanity literally means pride. It means arrogance. It means to be conceited. It means, look at the word emptiness. It means pretension. When we think in terms of the word pretension, it is the heart of hypocrisy. I, we can see right in the word pretension, I ask also the word to pretend, to act like it's empty. It does not have any significance and it doesn't have any real residence in your life or in your heart. This is in fact something that happens a lot of times in the life of so many people that we lead these vain lives. Lies full of arrogance, lies full of conceit, lies full of an emptiness or, or a facade, if you will. When we act like one thing, when in reality our heart is somewhere else. But God says what is defining my kingdom as successful is someone that is selfless. What does that mean? That is a person that is self-sacrificing, a person that's full of grace, a person that is full of service, which is the heart of servanthood. You know, servanthood is a word that we generally don't like to hear these days. You want me to serve others? Yes, that's what it means. You want me to give of myself to somebody else? Yes, that's what it means. A lot of people don't understand that the word minister literally has its roots in this word servant. Everybody wants to be a minister this, elder this, and deacon this, and all that. Not understanding that what it really means is that you are here to serve people. Jesus shows us exactly what servanthood looks like when he takes off his robe and he ties it around himself and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. He says, this is what servanthood looks like when I get down from my position and I get low to help somebody else. Selflessness, which also means I have to operate in this position of self-denial. It's not going to be just about you this year. It's not going to be just about your family this year. It's going to be about somebody else. Let's look over here at 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 out of the New Living Translation. I'm going to spend a lot of time this morning in the New Living Translation. Uh, 
for this morning's teaching. First John chapter three and verse 11, it says, this is the message you have heard from the, from the beginning. We should love, watch the term again, one another. We should love one another because we understand that loving one another is not a suggestion from God. It is a commandment. He says, verse number 12, we must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. Cain had a desire to receive credit from God, but he had a desire to receive it based on a level of pretension. I want to give God something, but I want to act like it's my best. And when I see somebody else, or in this case, Abel, which was his brother, giving God his best and seeing God respond in their life, what Cain wanted to do, and in fact, that's what he did, was kill his brother. And a lot of times this is what happens in our lives is that we present to God what's left over and we don't present to God our best and we see God blessing our brother and what we want to do is turn and kill our brother. There must be something wrong with him. Why is this happening in his life? Why is God blessing him? Maybe he's giving God his all and you're giving God your left. Leftovers. Now watch this. Who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil. And his brother had been doing what was righteous. And in verse number 13, it says it. It says, So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Don't be alarmed, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Now, I want you to look at this term again, if the world hates you. He says, don't be surprised, therefore, when the world, or if the world hates you for doing the right thing. This is normal. Now, notice, though, he inserts an interesting word. It's the word if. Which means I should not be saying, the reason why everybody hates me in this office is because I'm always doing the right thing. No, maybe it's because you have a righteous or self-righteous attitude. He says, if the world hates you, which means, yes, there are times in which people will hate you because you are doing the right thing. But it's not all the time. Sometimes they don't like you because you're being too religious in the office. You're not being somebody that loves other people. If the world hates you means this, yes, sometimes the world will hate you because of who you are and your stance in God. But it shouldn't be because you are portraying something that's not like God. Let's look at John chapter 15. First John is, of course, the writer John referencing uh, what Jesus said himself over in John chapter 15, where he records it. Uh, the New Living Translation, verse 16, he says, <clears throat> You didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. This is Jesus speaking about his disciples. And this is something that's important for us to remember and recognize, particularly in the year 2022. Jesus says to his disciples, y'all think that sometimes see, he says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Sometimes you've been walking with God for a long time that you think that, yeah, I chose to walk with God. And in fact, it was always a response to God calling you. 
God's the one that finds us. God's the one that speaks to us. God's the one that calls us to our purpose. It's not the other way around, even though sometimes it feels like because you respond to the call. But the reason why you have something to respond to is because God chose you first. That vision that you have is something that God called you to first. That thing that's desire on the inside of you, that's burning on the inside of you, is because God called you first. You did not call yourself and your walk of steps of faith have everything to do with the fact he called you first. He says, I called you because I'm looking to appoint you to go and produce, watch the term, lasting fruit, not fleeting fruit, not momentary fruit. That's the reason why sometimes it takes so long because he said, when I called you and I'm taking you through the steps and the stages, it's taking a long time because when you get to the other side, the fruit that you will produce will be lasting fruit. He says, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Verse 17, he picks up with what 1 John says. He says, this is my commandment. Use the term again, love each other. And then verse 18 picks up again and it uses the term if the world hates you, the world should not be hating you because you don't walk in love. Oh, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, no. You should not be looking to get persecuted. If persecution happened, yes, it does happen. That is a reality in the life of Christians. When you take a stand on righteousness, people ain't going to like it. But it should not be because you are standing as a pompous, self-righteous person. But it's in fact because you're taking the stand out of love. He says, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. Jesus didn't come around teaching and preaching hate. Y'all need to get right per se. He said, repent, sure, absolutely. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here. What should that mean? Change the way you think. Change what you're doing. Come back to what the kingdom is indicating. And because people don't always want to hear the truth, that's the reason why they move into an area of hate. Because people don't always want to see somebody living in the truth of what God says, that's the reason why they move into hate. But it should not be because of what you are doing by your motivation to be self-righteous. Verse number 19 says, the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. That's the reason why the world hates you, because you have decided to come out of the world and receive and operate according to the call. Now, Again, when we talk in terms of what is success versus failure, we have to define terms out of how God looks at it. Again, God calls you to your purpose. God calls you out of darkness into the marvelous light. The reason why you were able to get born again is because somebody said, yes, God, I'll go where you tell me to go to preach what you tell me to preach, to share the gospel. Uh, we heard the gospel. When you hear the gospel, then you have the capacity to get born again. God still is at the origin of everything. He's calling you unto himself. Now, Two examples I want you to think about and consider in the midst of success and failure. God finds this man named Peter. 
He's a relatively successful businessman. A lot of people say, well, maybe he was a failure because he had a bad night when Jesus came upon him. And he said, Lord, I've been out here washing my nets all night and we hadn't caught anything. And we understand the story goes on that Jesus tells him, push out into the deep and he resists. And he says, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We don't want to go back out there. But they go out there and they have this major economic shift because of the harvest they receive at the word of Jesus purpose of the thing I wanted you to see is the fact that before Jesus came and called Peter into the ministry, he was successful. He was successful enough to have other people working for him. That The Bible says that when all the harvest of fish came, he called his brother and his other folks said, let's go collect this fish, which means he had the people working for him. He was a successful businessman by the world's standards when God calls him into the ministry. As far as the world was concerned, the call that Peter was receiving was to leave his successful business and follow a carpenter turned leader. It was to follow this new religious set that was developing in the community. It was to die eventually on the cross as an, a convicted felon. This is the call that God had on Peter's life. Eventually that he would die, but he would die as a criminal by the world's standard. Why do I point this out? Because the world, the way they look at you and define success may not be equal to the way the kingdom defines you as successful. God says, when I look at Peter's life, I see somebody that is successful. But the world, when they looked at Peter's life, they saw somebody that abandoned his business, followed the carpenter, and eventually would die as a convict. How do you define success? Is it from God's standard or is it from the world's standard? Let's look at another example. Paul was a successful academic. He was Dr. Paul in his day. He had gone to the heights of the intellectual day that he lived in. He was a successful climbing the ladder. He had gotten to a place in his life where he had become an influential politician and influential academic that he was able to, to rally uh, the temple uh, uh, temple guards together and the priests and everybody together to go after little sects like Christianity that were speaking against as they thought the law. In other words, he was by worldly standards considered a successful man. And then one day he encounters Jesus. And the next thing we see by the world standard, he was turned into a preacher, which made him a leader in a subversive cult. He's turned into a preacher and he, like Peter, dies at capital punishment. He's beheaded in Rome. By the world standard, Paul lost it all. He went through traumatic stuff, shipwreck issues and everything. And with the world looking on, they say, well, what in the world? He had everything going for him, everything successful. And he decided to follow God and see what happened to him. But in both situations, in both circumstances, heaven says, those two men are my good and faithful servants. How do you define success? How do you define success? And this is something, as we look at the year progression, as we look at the year 2022, how do you define success? Is it from God's standard or is it from the world's standard? Godly success is defined by God alone. 
It is not defined by anything else. It's defined by God alone. Worldly success, on the other hand, is defined by current status and the opinions of men. When you go home and your family looks at you, whether they, they, they size you up based on whether or not they define you as successful. How much money you bringing in, girl? How much money you bringing in, man? How much is going on in your life? What did they drive up in? Do we define them as successful? And are we interested more in the world's way of defining success more than what God defines as success? This dropped in my heart this morning. A man is never a failure, but rather always a success who is seeking and conforming to the will of God. Let me say that one more time. A man is never a failure, but always a success when that man is seeking and conforming to the will of God. God's clapping for your life even though nobody else looks at your status and claps. God's clapping for your life even though you don't see anything that's changing in the natural. God's clapping for your life when you make a decision to put him first and put everything else second. Let's look over in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. We talked about this on last week. Jesus speaking at the end of his powerful sermon about relationships with people. And then he begins to shift and talk about relationship with God. And he says, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I, in fact, say? A lot of people top of the year. You know, we, this is a new year. I saw a lot of thank you, Jesus, and Lord, you've been so good and all these kind of things. I can hear heaven say, how many of y'all are calling me Lord, Lord, and you ain't do nothing I told you to do last year. You didn't do nothing I told you to do the year before that, the year before that, the year before that, but yet you're still saying I'm Lord. God says, we got a problem. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and I am not the director of your life? And then he goes on and he gives this analogy about how the difference between the ones that are building a house are the people that hear the word of God and do what he says to do. A lot of people like to hear it, but they don't like to do what he says. A lot of people like to mentally ascribe to what God says. Yes, Jesus is all, except when he tells me to do something that I don't want to hear. Hearing and doing, he says, therefore, in the rest of those passages of scripture, he says, builds a firm foundation for your life. The question that I ask, and I want to pause here a little bit, is why does hearing and doing form a foundation for life? Why is he saying that hearing and doing what he says is the foundation for life? Why does this form a foundation for life? Let's look at this. First reason why is because hearing removes the excuse of ignorance. Hearing removes the excuse of ignorance. Now let's look at this really quick over in Proverbs. It's not in the slides. Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19. We're going to look at verse number 2. I'm going to look in the King James and I'm just going to look in the New Living Translation. Scripture says... Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 2. 
Why is hearing and doing forming a foundation for my life? And we said first reason is because hearing removes the excuse of ignorance. It says in verse number two in the King James, also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. Well, amen. Let's look at this in the New Living Translation. The scripture says, enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. Enthusiasm without knowledge. Now, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You should be hearing from God. You should get a regular diet of the word of God. Enthusiasm without knowledge. The Bible says over in Proverbs as well, in all thy getting, get understanding, which means it is up to me to acquire, to be in the position so I can hear the word of God. And then what begins to happen is now my excuse for ignorance is removed. You are responsible, therefore, if I can say it like this, for the word that you know. But you're also, I want you to get this, get this, you're also even responsible being in the place to learn more. You are responsible even for being in the place to learn more. I'm going to say this as a pastor. There are some people right now that are supposed to be in this church. They're supposed to be right, right, right now. But they're not here. Do you not know that they are still responsible for everything that comes out of this church? If God tells you that's your church, whether or not you go to that church is up to you. But as far as God is concerned, you're still responsible for every word that comes out of that church because he told you where to go. If you don't show up, if you don't listen, that's on you. It's not God. You remember in the Bible, the scripture talks about Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, they were still responsible for the word that they knew. The Bible distinctly tells us that God told Adam, the day you show you this fruit, you should surely die. We understand that generally speaking, then if God didn't tell Eve this directly, she must have heard it from Adam. So then she became responsible. The reason why Genesis chapter 3 happens is because God holds them responsible for the word that they know. God always holds you responsible for the word that you know. You say, well, I didn't know. Well, God said, didn't I tell you to go to that church so you could know something? So you're still responsible. Let's look over here at Genesis, uh, Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse number 15. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, And I will give you pastors according, watch the word, to mine heart which will feed you with knowledge and understanding. That is the job of the pastorate ministry, to feed you with knowledge and understanding, to feed the sheep of God, to feed God's people with knowledge and understanding. Well, if they don't come, I know at this church, this pastor is still here. If they don't show up, I'm still here. And if God told you to come, you're still responsible for it. So I can't claim ignorance. Second reason why doing, hearing, and doing forms a foundation for my life is because hearing demands a response. Hearing, therefore, demands a response. That's the reason why I spend a little time on this. You can't claim ignorance. Well, I didn't know. Well, Lord said, I put you in an environment. I told you to go here so that you would know something. So you're still responsible. And number two is hearing demands a response. When you hear the word of God, when you are fed with knowledge and understanding, what you going to do with it? Am I going to apply it to my life or am I going to say, yeah, that's good, that's nice, I hear you, Reverend, but 
Even inactivity is a response. And God still holds you responsible. I heard the word. I heard what God was saying. And I didn't do anything with it. God says you are still responsible. See, this is a word that people don't like. You are responsible for some things that are taking place in your life. I'm responsible for not responding to what he said. Third reason why hearing and doing forms a foundation for our life is because doing things God's way grants, your, grants you experience, fostering confidence in God's method for your life. The totality of what Jesus is essentially saying is, why you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I'm saying? You're showing or displaying by not doing what I say that you don't really trust me. So you never develop in a level of confidence because you won't take this journey of faith. Doing things God's ways grants you experience that, yes, this might be a little uncomfortable doing this way. It might be a little uncomfortable in the beginning, turning the other cheek. When you start doing things God's way, God will grant you experiences of why doing it his way is better for your life. And when you begin to gain that experience for from doing it his way, you begin to gain confidence the next time he tells you to do something else. Number four, the confidence, therefore, cultivates strength. It enriches, it magnifies your relationship with God. You learn to trust him. So when God says, no, don't do it this way. I know you feel like it. Do it this way. And you make the change. You conform to do it his way. And then what begins to happen is you learn in the process that doing God's way is the correct way. Your confidence in your relationship with him begins to develop. It begins to magnify. It begins to become strengthened and enriched in your life. Now it's not just the word I heard the preacher say, but I know doing things God's way is really better. It is called conviction. Fifth reason, again, is confidence then develops or co uh, confidence development or denied or dismissed through disobedience will manifest in distrust and unbelief at life's most critical challenge. So doing things God's ways grants you experience and confidence. You take this journey. My confidence begins to grow in the things of God. My relationship with God begins to grow. I know God can in this area. And my relationship, I know that he can take care of me. But when I say, no, God, I'm not going to do it this way. I'm going to do it my own way. I did it my way. What I'm doing is I'm denying the experience that God wants me to have because of my disobedience. And what happens is through disobedience, it always manifests in distrust and unbelief when life's issues show up. Now you've got to try to struggle to believe God because you didn't go through the journey. Now I'm struggling to believe that God's going to take care of me in this area because I didn't take the journey when there was no pressure. Now I'm struggling to believe that God can take care of my family and my back is up against the wall. And God says the reason why you feel this pressure is because you didn't take the little steps to develop trust without the pressure. Number six, God backs his methods not actions or, or carnal actions or reactions. If you do nothing with what you've heard, you have nothing for God to back or confirm in your life. You heard it, but you didn't do anything. So you don't have the experience. You don't have the experience. You don't get the confidence. You don't get the confidence. You don't get the trust that, wants, that God wants to deposit. Number seven, the reason why hearing and doing is vitally important or is a foundation of life is because intentions without action accomplishes nothing. 
intentions without actions accomplish nothing. I intended to do this. God says, why you call me Lord, Lord? Did you do what I told you to do last year? I intended to, but you didn't do nothing. God, I intended to make this move, but, I, but you didn't though. <laughs> but you didn't. I want it, but you didn't. A lot of people like to float around the word intention. And Lord, because I intended to do it, give me credit for my intention. God does not give you credit for intention. He gives you credit for taking the step. In your marriage, maybe you intended to do this for your husband, or you intended to do this for your wife, but you never actually did anything, but you want credit. Act like I did it anyway, but you didn't though. <laughs> That's not how this works. You actually have to do something to accomplish it. Instead of intention, action, or intention without action, accomplish nothing. It creates a life of, watch this, inactivity. When you intend to do something, but you don't put action with it, it creates a life of inactivity and disobedience rather, of, rather than one of obedience. Eighth reason why, in fact, hearing and doing creates a foundation for your life is because, number eight, commitment is authenticated through your action. You say, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my God. My actions correspond with the statement, I believe. And that's the reason why we spend so much time talking about what I believe. When people say I believe, what it really means is a behavioral shift. I got to do something. You don't really believe when you don't do nothing. When I don't start making steps to do things in correspondent with my stated position of faith. 2022 is the year of progress. What does that mean? The year of doing something, not intentions without action. It's the year of being proactive with what God has shown you and what he's calling you to do. I'm making steps. And then also, that's the reason why I said a few minutes ago, it means that I prepare, even though I might not know how this piece fits into that piece. I do what I know to do. I don't know how this part is going to go with that part, but I make moves to do this. I prepare. I prepare myself. Sometimes it's nothing simple, but I prepare myself academically so that when God is ready to promote me, he has a prepared person to promote. Let's go here really quick. We'll finish this section up on Thursday night. Prescription number one for living a failure-proof life. Prescription number one for living a failure-proof life. And I'll, I'll, again, I'll, I'll put some legs on this a little bit more on our Thursday night. Is becoming a disciple. Well, what is a disciple? It is a learner. It is someone that is seeking to become more like Jesus. Someone that's seeking to become more like Jesus. Again, if our desire is to be successful by heaven's standard, that means our desire is to imitate and be more like Jesus, who heaven says is the picture of success. Now, it's easy to say that, but what does that really mean? Number one, it means place yourself in the environment in the environment God has prepared and intended for my growth and development. Notice I use the word place myself, place oneself in the environment. God directs you, but he don't push you there. 
He, he directs you to a church. He doesn't push you to go to church. You got to get up and do it. He tells you to go to school. You got to really, really, you got to go apply for the school. You got to do the work to be able to get into the school. It doesn't just say, Lord, I believe that you want me to go to school and you're just going to magically give me an application. No, you got to go through the process to apply, to do the things that you need to do. You say you want that business. Have you even applied for a permit? Have you even got a business plan together? Am I doing what I know to do? I place myself in the environment that God has prepared and intended for my growth, which also includes this area of mentorship and accountability. Mentorship and accountability. Church is a part of the mentorship and accountability spiritually that God prepares for us. But God also gives you other people to look to that you can glean wisdom from. Now, I want you to understand this. Never run away from God's set accountability. Because when you do, you are running away from your own destiny. God set person, set people that he, for you in your life to mentor you. One of the people, hopefully, if you had maybe godly parents growing up, they become mentors to you in your adult life. That they can show you, yeah, this is the way to go. They can even show you, eh, don't do this. Because the way I did it growing up, eh, that wasn't the best method. I'll give you a case in point. For my father, he really wasn't a big mentor in my life. Not in the way that we would consider mentorship. Like, you know, I want to be like my father. Generally speaking, I don't. What he did show me was things not to do. Don't do this. Don't run away from that. Don't run away from an issue. Confront the issue. Don't run away from a problem. Confront the problem. Make sure that you foster a correct relationship with your family. Make sure you foster a correct relationship with your, with your siblings. These are the things that he didn't per se do, but he showed me by his inaction, this is what you should be doing. So you can glean even from somebody else's mistakes. A call to discipleship is also, it means to attempt to apply or incorporate what you hear, the lessons, the teachings within my life. What I hear from God. I am making an attempt to put that in my life. What you say, God, I make an attempt to incorporate it into my life. Number three, it means to be a disciple means to perceive and interpretate, oh, I'm sorry, interpret life through the correct lens of God's word as truth and authority. I am perceiving and interpreting life itself, not through my own perspective, but through the perspective of heaven through his word. So where my opinions are concerning this matter, when I discover something from the word where God says something different, I change. When I change, it literally means I repent from that way of thinking. Number four, to become a disciple means I am to bear fruit. Bearing fruit means not just simply the works, but it does include that. Works of the spirit. It includes works of life that I'm bearing forth fruit for the kingdom of God. But it also means the works of the spirit on the inside of me. That I'm bearing forth character fruits that God can use in life. Last but definitely not least, to become a disciple means that I imitate Jesus. What does that mean? Because again, if I say imitate Jesus, people are like, yes, amen, reverend. What does that mean? To imitate Jesus, that means I imitate him in his character. Jesus shows us how to have character even amongst people that are doing him wrong. Judas is literally stealing from the ministry all the time he's there. Stealing from Jesus, stealing from his business. And Jesus still loves him unconditionally. So the next thing, when we say when we want to imitate Jesus, it means that we have to love people unconditionally, even people that would betray us. 
I'm supposed to walk in love. I'm supposed to walk in love. I'm supposed to walk in love. Lord, they're doing me wrong. God said, yeah, I see that they're doing you wrong. You see they're doing you wrong. I still want you to love them. Because you're loving them, in fact, is a display of my character, which is convicting them, even though you may not be seeing anything. To imitate Jesus also means to imitate his leadership style. That he allows people to grow at the level they're on. He shows them this is what we're doing. This is how you do it, boys. And then he goes on. He says, you go out and let's get OJT on the job training. Come back. Let's talk about it. He's showing you a picture of leadership. To imitate Jesus also means to imitate his endurance. That he didn't quit. This year is going to require a lot of endurance from you. That thing he told you is going to require endurance. That thing he's called you to is going to require endurance. That thing that he's placed within your heart is going to require endurance, which means I'm going to really have to stick to it. To, to, to um, be like Jesus means that we also are to imitate his power. And also, when we're talking about his power, and I'll show you this later on, there's a time where, where the disciples are like, Lord, do you want us to call down thunder or call down lightning on them because you see what they're doing? And Jesus rebukes his disciples for having this spirit to call down vengeance against people that are against him. Jesus shows us how to use power, but to use it from a position of love. When God grants you power, what are you going to do with the power? Are you going to do it to avenge yourself? Or are you going to do it or use it for his glory? To be like Jesus also means to sacrifice your very life. The Bible says that he laid down his life for ours. This year, 2022, there are going to be areas in your life where God said, I want you to lay that down. I want you to sacrifice that to me. I want you to put that before my altar and leave it there. Don't come back tomorrow and say, well, I'm going to put that back up. No, leave it here. That attitude, that thing that issue in your life, they're going to be a call this year for you to sacrifice that in order to embrace his call that's on your life. Every person I believe that's assigned to this ministry has a distinct call from heaven to fulfill a distinct purpose for the kingdom of God and it's going to require something from you personally starting this year. A new sacrifice a new call to lay it all on the line. Because when you come to your last day, you want to be able to hear that word, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, to be able to hear the word good and faithful servant means God, I laid it all down for you to do what you said for me to do, to go where you said for me to go, to forgive the person that worked my last nerve that I had a righteous reason to hold this grudge against. I decide, God, to lay it down because you showed me how greater love has no, no more than this, that, that one that can lay down his life for his friends. He says, the greatest or the highest height of love is that you lay down your life for those that you say that you, in fact, love. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you and we praise you for bringing us into another year. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us out of 2021. 
We thank you, Lord, that everything that you've shown us and taught us in the year 2021, Lord, will not just be simply hearers, but God, we will apply it to the year 2022. And Lord, we will also continue to place ourselves in the environment to learn more, to develop, so that you can use us more in 2022. God, we lay our lives down before you. We lay our lives before you. Our agendas, God, we place them before you. That we want what you want, God, for our lives. We want your direction. We want your will for our families, God. It's not about us, Lord, but it's all, in fact, about you. And so this Sunday, this first Sunday of 2022, Lord, we just commit afresh. Lord, have your way in our lives. For your glory, Lord, we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's giving time. John chapter, what do I have on the screen here? <laughs> Amen. John chapter 3 and verse 16, yes. <laughs> Scripture says, For God so loved the world, watch the turn that he gave. My love for God is always authenticated in my giving. Now, a few minutes ago, I talked about giving of your very life. Well, part of your life, of course, is the giving of the money that you get. Well, the, the Bible says that God is the one to give us the power to get the wealth. He says God loved the world so much that he gave, he himself gave. So once again, he's the picture of how we are to operate. You say you love God, then it also is responsive in my giving and in the money that I give to his work or as he directs. I was looking at our own personal giving for the year 2021. Uh, I was like, ooh, Lord, we gave that much? And then... And, and I was, I was like, well, right, praise God. Maybe maybe we can, we can do better than that this year. Amen. God so loved the world that he gave. So your authentic giving or the, the, the display of your heart is shown through your giving. He said, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world because he loved humanity so that we would have the ability to get born again. Again. When I give, it authenticates the fact that when I trust God, it also authenticates the fact that God is in fact first in my life, my love for God. Three ways that you can get to the training center. First way is by way of our cash app. Second way is by way of our, um, way of our website. Last definitely but not least is by way of our PO box number or of course live in the house. All ways will be received in Jesus' name, amen. Thank God for your giving into this ministry. We were able to acquire at the very bottom of the year some additional equipment for the church so that we can go forward in Jesus' name. We found a wonderful deal um, for our continued broadcasting um, um, this past week, and we look forward to being able to use those items. You may ask the question, why do we spend... Uh, any of the resources that we have for broadcasting because that's part of our assignment. We actually been broadcasting before the uh, pandemic started. That's one of the things that the Lord gave us to be able to do. That even when we were at the Urban Center, we were broadcasting our Sunday services. I was at the um, 
we had the Urban Center one Sunday and my mother came to our service and she was like, well, how can I hear this if you don't record it? You know, cause she has her own church that she goes to. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know how you can hear it at the time because I didn't know how to do any of the things that we are currently doing. And I was sitting on my couch at the house and the Lord just dropped in my heart. He said, you remember that, that stuff that y'all got from that church that was, that, was, that was moving down the street? He said, go look at the stuff that's on the table. And I went and I looked on my dining room and there were some lights, the same lights that you see up there right there. He said, well, those are all the lights that you need to be able to, to, to put it on your phone and everything so that you can see it and do it in a level of excellence or quality. And so since that time to this, we've been broadcasting online because that's a part of our assignments to broadcast the word where he says to go. There are some people that will hear this ministry and they say, well, that's my church. Well, they won't know it if we don't broadcast. There's some people that follow our ministry that are not located in the city of Gastonia. There are people that follow our ministry that even are not located in the States. Uh, one of the things we saw on last year, I think our broadcast and our website reached at least seven countries, I think last I checked. God is opening up doors. There are all kinds of things that can happen online, you know, to minister to people that are not physically in the house. And so as obedience to our assignment, that's the reason why uh, we have acquired some additional broadcast equipment. And we believe in God for people to learn how to use the equipment so that I don't have to do it all. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you for all that already are serving. Amen. So let's pray in agreement in regards to our seed. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you for the opportunity, God, to sow. And we thank you, Lord, because we are givers, because we are tithers, we thank you, Lord, that you've rebuked the devourer for our sake. We thank you that the window of heaven is open over our lives, God. We thank you, Lord, that our love is authenticated through our giving. And we thank you that you are Lord of our lives, which means, God, you're Lord of our finances, that you are indeed our source. And so, God, because you are our source, we rest in your abundance. We rest in your ability to take care of us. And we thank you in advance that we believe we've received an abundant supply for every good work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.